You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. And beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we continue this morning, we're going to continue in our beliefs um, sermon series. And in your bulletins, you can find the sermon outline. It's in a separate bulletin uh, inside of your bulletin. It's a, it's a half sheet uh, folded, uh, or it's a full sheet folded. And uh, so you have more room to write. I know those trifolds, uh, I said to Chris this week, we're going to go with a half sheet because those trifolds can get a little tight writing the words in there. So we're going to just give them a whole sheet. Um, and we're looking at foundations this morning. I can remember so many discussions with my dad when I was younger, ending with a discussion over one subject, priorities. It usually was my dad saying, Brett, it's about priorities. You must get them straight. One thing my parents tried to do was instill in my sister and I the priority of worshiping God and having a church family. As I typed this sermon, I tried my best to think of back and figure out how many Sundays I missed as a child for reasons other than being sick. And um, the definition of being sick in my family was you're on your deathbed. Um, or so I thought. And or vacation. I could not remember many. And if I missed because of work, my parents' rule was it was mandatory, required, that I would be at youth group at 6 o'clock that night. No choice. If I got off of work at 545, get there as soon as you possibly can. And we will be checking because they were youth leaders. <laughs> so I couldn't skip. And guess what? If I went to church in the AM, I was also required to go to church in the PM. No questions asked. I just remember my parents putting a high priority on church attendance. Now I'm going to say every Sunday morning... I'm not going to say, every Sunday, I say I'm going to say, but this is not true of me. Every Sunday morning, I got up and whistled the happiest of tunes. I'm not going to say that on our way out to our Pinto, Ford Pinto that my dad drove that was 16 different colors of green because he could never find a matching color. Um, I was as happy as I could be. I'm never going to say that when we jumped in the back of his red Mustang, yes, he owned a Mustang when I was a little child, that I was pleased to be going to church at 7.30 in the morning. Not going to say that me and my sister didn't play the game of, I'm not touching you, the whole way to church. Thank God it was only a three-minute trip. Not going to say that it was a happy time. <laughs> in fact, I tell you the story, and you've heard this story before, the Kindigs were known for fighting the whole way to church. And then as soon as we pulled into the church parking lot, my dad backed into the spot that was as far away from the church as it possibly could be because we got to leave all the close parking spots for the visitors. He would look at us in the back seat and he would say, now put your smiling faces on and go in there and have a good time worshiping. And we would walk into that church, St. David's EC Church in Dover, Pennsylvania, thinking to ourselves, what just happened? I'm not going to say it was always a fun time, but it was a priority. 
But here's what I've realized over the past couple of months and years. This isn't the 80s or the 90s anymore. Something has changed in our culture and then in the church. I hear my father, not Craig Kindig, but my perfect heavenly father whispering, priority son, you must get them right. For three weeks, we are looking at the statement in the EC discipline of what it is to be a member in good standing of the Evangelical Congregational Church. Here's what that statement says. In order to continue as a member of good standing of the Evangelical Congregational Church, it is necessary that a member live in harmony with the discipline, attend public services, commune during the year, and contribute to the support of the local congregation. Now, last week, we dealt with that last line. This week, we're dealing with attend public services. That may have been popular in the day and time when the EC discipline was written, but we've seen a shift in thinking. In the mid to late 1980s, a regular attendance of church who, defined, who was defined as someone who attended church every week, sometimes four to five times a week, People who study such things say that that new regular attendee today, the definition of a regular attendee, is different. You want to guess how different it is? They say that now the definition of a regular attender of a church, remember in the 80s and 90s it was every week, is maybe twice a month. Maybe. In fact, I just saw an article that passed through my email this week that the title was this. And it, talk about God things. The title was this, Why Church Attendance Should Not Even Be a Concern Anymore. And it was written by a well-known author, and I thought to myself, that one's going to find my trash bin. I didn't even read the email. Oh, how far we have turned the corner. I realize I am again probably old-fashioned in this way, but I still believe these hours spent together here and in groups, etc., really do matter. I believe it. I also believe the reason we haven't put great emphasis on it goes back to those conversations with my dad several, many moons ago. Foundational priorities. My friends, Jesus talks about these foundational priorities in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Now, usually when we're talking about church attendance, we turn to a book called Hebrews chapter 10. It says, do not give up on meeting together as those who are, as, though, as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to spur one another on towards love. We turn to those scripture passages because they are, they are popular because they, they talk about the very thing that we're talking about. But I think the root of the issue isn't really that scripture passage. I think the root of the issue goes back to what are our foundational principles or priorities. And I think Jesus is dealing with that in the scripture passage that I read earlier in Matthew chapter 7. He's saying, listen, here's some priorities that you must have as followers of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is right in the midst of the, this is actually at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus ups the ante to the disciples. 
his disciples, his followers. Remember, he's not speaking, and this is clear in the scriptures, he's not necessarily speaking to a big, huge crowd of people who are mixed with unbelievers and believers. He's speaking right at the disciples, those who call him their teacher. And he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you will do. You will not look at adultery simply as the act of adultery, but you will look at it when you even look at someone with the thoughts of adultery. He ups the ante. And he says, listen, here's, here's the deal. You have heard it said, this is the truth of the matter. But I tell you, the truth of the matter is really this. And there's a few things that we must realize when we're looking at this scripture passage. In just a second, we're going to get to that. But in Matthew 7, earlier, just before the scripture passage I read earlier, I want to give you the context. He puts, a, puts together priorities, a contrast of priorities between saying and doing. So in the first part of this section of scripture, he says there's people that say this. And then there's people that do this. And then there's people that say they do this, but they don't do this. And so he puts this priorities together and he says, listen, you can say something with your mouth, but your actions say something completely different at times. And then he comes to this scripture passage in this passage where we see the tale of two different foundational priorities. And this one, this one is the contrast between hearing and doing. So the first one was a contrast of be between what you say and what you do. This one is a priority contrast between hearing what you hear and what you do. And so what ultimately Jesus is saying, and this is what you need to grasp this morning, is he's saying, listen, you can hear a lot of sermons. You can hear a lot of connection Bible study studies. You can hear a lot of Sunday school lessons. You can teach a lot of Sunday school lessons. And you can still not do what is right. And you can preach sermons, let's put it on me, and still not do what is right. Hearing and doing. And so Jesus starts this contrast. And there's a few things that we got to realize about this parable before we, before we get into it. And, and, and before we read the scripture passage again. But here's, here's the first one. The call of Jesus here is a question. Will you follow me or will you follow the religious establishment of the day? That's one of your first blanks, by the way. That is the question. Sometimes the delightful song learned by many in Sunday school, and maybe you caught yourself singing it as I read the scripture passage. The wise man built his house upon the rock, softens the blow of this parable. I'm not telling you don't learn it. I'm not saying don't sing it. I'm saying understand the words here of Jesus. They aren't some cute song that we learn in Sunday school class. They're much more serious in history than that song might portray to us. He's basically saying in 2022 terms, here's what he's saying. You are either with me or you're against me. Period. 
You're either with me or you're against me. In essence, drawing a dividing line between him and any other foundation's priorities of life. In the day when this was written, it would have been a dividing line between him and the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, they were the ones that followed the rules and followed the laws really well, and they made themselves out to be religious leaders. And Jesus constantly went at them. Constantly. Because where they were good at legalism, Jesus wanted to show grace or mercy. And so the Pharisees and him constantly had battles. Today, the dividing line might be other arenas that we place our foundations on instead of Jesus. I'm going to leave that open for you to figure out. But aren't there places where we can sometimes trust these places more than we trust Jesus in control of our country or world? Aren't there temptations out there where we can trust people that... Or trust other things other than Jesus and put our foundation on Jesus? I, I can just tell you from my perspective, there are. Sometimes I can trust numbers more than I can trust Jesus. Sometimes I can trust people more than I trust or people's opinions more than I trust Jesus. And so there is this divide line set up by Jesus in this scripture passage. It's a powerful one, but we also have to realize that the setting of this teaching is important. So here's where they're standing. And you got to understand this in order to understand the story because you, you won't if you, if you don't understand. They're standing near the Sea of Galilee where you see sand. But that sand isn't just sand. It's a mixture of clay and gravel, according to those that, that, that write um, books about this kind of stuff. And to the naked eye, it looks solid as a rock, specifically during the hot summer months. So it's presumed that Jesus is speaking on this sand and maybe even his own sandals aren't making an impact into the sand. And so they're looking at the sand and they're saying, it's solid foundation. Look, it's not even moving. But be warned, that sand certainly is not a solid foundation. And then last, before we get into the scripture passages again, to the naked eye, both houses look great. Don't they? I mean, did you hear me say that, that, um, <laughs> that the engineers uh, kind of shafted the second house? Did you hear me say that when I read the scripture passage? No, you didn't hear me say that. No, read the passage of Matthew chapter 24 through 27, and you'll see that Jesus gives a description of, of these two houses, and it would be like, it would almost be like the annex, our office, and the next house, because they kind of look the same. To the naked eye, they both looked great until the storms came. And so here's what, here's what Jesus is saying in that standpoint, that to the naked eye both look the same, so it does with us. 
One person may look great in, 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 in kingdom work and, and one person might look great in kingdom work over here, but one of them might have been built on a very fast and quick foundation that when the storms of life hit them, their faith is destroyed. And one of them is built on a foundation where when the storms of life hit them, their faith continues to work and continues to minister through them. But here's the deal. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, Pharisees, listen, disciples, you don't have the eyes to see what I do. And so what he's really doing is he's signaling to every one of us who hear this scripture passage way many years later and say, you best better not point your finger too far, friends. Because what you think you know, you may not know. And those that you think are strong may not be strong. And those that you think are weak may not be weak. And so here we go. In verse 7 through 24 through 25, it says, chapter 7 says, Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the storms rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now this first person he's talking about is a very wise person. Not because they figured it out, life's issues on their own. No, 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 no. It's because they put their trust in the Lord and Savior. Because they knew his word. And they not only knew it up here, but they knew it in here. That's what makes this person a wise person. So they dig deep beyond that original layer of clay. They see the clay, they see the stone, and they say, hmm, Looks pretty tough. Maybe I could build my house here. But through learning through his word and understanding that they have to lay a better foundation than sand and gravel, they understand that and they put it into action. And so they dig. And according to many, they had to dig as low as, as high as uh, 10 feet down to hit the bedrock. For a foundation. And when the Jordan River overflowed and its creeks overflowed its banks and the water ran. This house wasn't affected. And it happened for months. Something you need to know about Israel is, is that they don't have this, 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 this area. They don't have a lot of rain, but when they have rain, they have a lot of it into winter months. And so it may rain for months, and this home doesn't crash. But instead, they survive the floods of life. Why? 
not because they were a smart builder or because they were a great engineer or because they were a great builder or because they could use this or use that, but because they knew his words and they actually put them into practice. They saw that they could have done it faster over here. But they understood that the work they were putting in today was going to help them in the future. And so why does this house survive the storm? Because they're not fooled by the foundation. That's your next blank. They, they, they're not fooled by the foundation. They take into consideration the entire situation and figure out that the only way their house will stand a chance is to put the time and energy into, into hook, hooking into the bedrock. They don't settle for quick and easy, but understand with this, with this that understand that this is about taking their time, going on a journey, building into the foundation of their lives. What was one of the points of the salvation sermon that was preached several weeks ago? Salvation is not a 50-yard dash, it's a journey. That was one of the points. It's a marathon. And you start a marathon much differently than you start a 50-yard dash. You start a 50-yard dash as fast as possible and you're a flash of light, man. Well... Some of us are a flash of light, not me. But when that gun goes off, you run as hard as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can until the 50 yards are up, and then you're done. When the gun goes off at the Boston Marathon, you don't see people taking off real fast. Some of them are faster than others. They take their time. They reach their stride. Because they got 26 more miles to go. Till they finish. What ends up happening sometimes in our life when we don't build the foundation on the rock is we run a 50-yard dash, we get frustrated, and then we just kind of sail the rest of the way. And storms knock the living daylights out of us. Because we already ran. We're done. We, we've packed this thing up. And what Jesus is saying in this parable, in this time, at this wise builder is, is that, listen, you can't pack this thing up. You got to be in it every day. You got to be listening. And more importantly, you got to be doing in order to build upon a solid foundation. But the story continues. Jesus continues the story in Matthew 7, and here's what he says in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them and put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain comes down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Church father Christ, Christeman, John Christeman, called this person... Brainless. Now, he called him that, not me. I know that's pretty harsh, he said, because while they are getting a quick fix, it's leading to an eternal destruction. Let 
Why does this house crash with a great crash? Unfortunately, this person looked for the quick and easy and didn't really want to invest in the foundation of their lives. And so the Pharisees come along and they offer this quick and easy. Look, you, you don't have to go through all the, all the learning and the growing and, and all the discipleship and all the things that Jesus requires, you know, like taking up your cross daily. It's ridiculous. Just come and follow our rules. It's built on sand, but it'll get you there faster. Just do it our way. And so this person looks for the fast and easy, and he doesn't, they don't build their, their lives on it, and their priorities were not on the words of Christ, but on just settling in and let that sand, I mean, it's gravel. Why can't I just plop my house on it? But as we read, the Jordan River again overflows just like it did for the first home that looks the same to the naked eye. And eventually, boom, it crashes. And it doesn't just crash. Did you notice the words of Jesus? It has a great crash. Foundational priorities are of utmost importance, friends. If we don't take time to really develop our foundations, what ends up happening is we see two mindsets that, that are destructive errors when it comes to building on the sand. Here's the first mindset. And, and, and you know, if you fall into this, don't hear me calling you brainless. That's his words. I'm here to say you, you can turn it around. But here's the first one. And we see both of these in today's culture. I don't need a foundation error. Listen, it's what many people see as the easy out. I'm cool with running with the punches. I'm cool with just doing what I want to do. And I need no foundation. Then you all of a sudden, you do. We see it all today. How do we see it today, Pastor Brett? We see it today because there's this postmodern thinking of there's no absolute truth. This isn't truth. If I don't want it to be. Whatever you want to be truth is truth. And then the storms come up of life. And, and did you ever notice that some of our friends and some of our family members who hold to this kind of thinking that say, you know, that's great for you, but that's not good for me, are the ones that struggle with the storms the most? The storms crash up against their homes and they have these crashes and it's, it's like their world is, 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 is just being destroyed. Why? Because they have no foundation. Because there is no absolute truth. But second, there's this foundation. Any foundation will work error. This is an error of grave intentions. I really mean no offense, but we are seeing this today in politically correct pluralism. It's true. It invades this culture more than you even want to imagine. Any way will do. Just follow one. They're all the same anyway. 
It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or you follow Muhammad. It doesn't matter if you follow Hindu or you follow Christianity. It doesn't matter. Let's just all be one. The problem is Jesus comes along in John chapter 14, verse 6, and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. Now we have an issue. Did he say no one will come to the Father except through Buddha? No. And so this pluralism that we have been taught to accept and to just live with is actually deteriorating our foundation as a Christian. It's causing our houses to explode. Because we don't stand on the one and only word. We, we kind of just let it, you know, fester. If somebody challenges us on our beliefs, oh, you're, you're right, you're right. We're probably all the same. It's okay. It's, it's okay. We should probably just love you the way you are. You're right. And what ends up happening is, is that literally what you were doing at that moment is you might as well not put the concrete in the foundation. You're throwing sand in there. And so this error, this, this, this any foundation will work error is causing the deterioration of what we know as following Jesus. That's why Jesus says what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He wants to be abundantly clear. And, and, and many people think, well, it was a different day and age. I've, I've heard this garbage sometimes. It was a different day and age when he said that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It would be as shocking as him being down at Target on Fifth Street right now, saying that to the people walking into Target as it is the day he says it. No one wanted to hear that. It was as far off as it could have been in that day and culture. And so you're not fighting battles that you haven't been fought before. No, in fact, we're living in the world that he lived in. So, so sometimes I hear from people and they say, well, you know, pastor, you make a big deal about that John 14, 6 passage. That wasn't such a big deal back. No, no, no. It was a bigger deal in some ways than it is today. You want to know how big of a deal it is? It's probably one of the very few things, one of the few things that led to him being killed later on. How dare you say you're the way, the truth, and the life? And so when we downplay it, and we do, I, I live in this world too. We put our foundation on a shaky ground, don't we? When we allow just anything to come in. This is why the battles that are going on in denominations today are very important, friends. This isn't just my opinion against your opinion. This isn't our opinion against their opinion. 
This is, is this book true or is it not true? It's that important. And I hear from time to time people just saying, I don't know why we just can't all agree to agree, to disagree. Friends, this is more than that. This is right versus wrong. This is truth versus non-truth. And so when we make it less than that, we are really playing into that quick fix. Let's just get the situation solved and move on with life. We're looking at the sand saying, it looks like it can hold it. I mean, I'm standing here in summer months when it's not raining and I'm doing this and it's not even indenting into the sand. That's a pretty solid foundation, Pastor Brett. So let's just put our house up. Let's see what happens. So what does this have to do with church attendance, Pastor Brett? You've preached now for a while. Some think maybe too much. But what does this have to do with church attendance? It has everything to do with church attendance, friends. Church attendance and getting involved is building a foundation. That's all it is. Let me tell you something. I have grown up in a world where for 40-some years, uh, it was never a choice. I shouldn't say that. Let me back that up. It was a choice when I came home from college. I think my parents probably thought if a pastor, if a guy who's going to be at a Bible college for a pastor isn't going to go to church on Sunday morning, there's bigger issues. So they didn't make it a requirement. They never told me you have to go to church on Sunday mornings. I think they assumed that I would want to be there. And listen, there's been storms that have hit my life. And there's been times that I've gotten a little crazy about those storms. But never once did I go into, <laughs> never once did I go into any situation saying to myself, this is going to destroy me. Have I gotten close? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I knew that the foundation was built, that I knew there was two or three things that happened in my life that, that were very important. One was God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those were, that was first and foremost. Second was the fact that I had people, many of them in this room this morning and online this morning, that I knew would be by my side or by my family's side through it all. Many of you may or may not know this. Um, when we were going through the adoption, one of the reasons why we were put on the top of the list was because of you sitting in this room. You said, wait, 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 the, the state doesn't know me. Yes, but here's what they knew. The state, the one that we sometimes bash for not having beliefs in what we have beliefs in, knew that a church family could help a young couple get through the adoption of having two kids come into their house overnight. And so we were chosen over other couples 
because we had a foundation of a church family. Because of you and you. See, when I speak about a church family and about importance of being here, it's more than just pastor trying to raise numbers. I see the importance of it in my son's life and in my daughter's life. I see the importance of it in my life. It's why I desire it to be the way it should be. Because we need it. Why was Eve made? Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Even at the beginnings of the world, Jesus said community matters. People matter. Having each other matters. Foundations matter. John Stott says it this way in his, his commentary. We recite creeds in church and sing hymns of expressive devotion to Christ. We even <laughs> exercise a variety of ministries in his name. But he is not impressed by pious and orthodox words. He still asks for evidence of our sincerity in good works of obedience. Now you automatically, some people that... Uh, may go to, well, here we go, good works theology. No, notice, notice what John Stott is saying. Because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he doesn't just want words and offerings. He wants action. It's funny to me that when you break down big words like postmodern, and, and we're beyond postmodern now, by the way. It, people that study this stuff say that we're way beyond postmodern. But you know what the postmodernists, those people that were in that category, really wanted to see from the church? The, again, people that study this stuff smarter than I am, they, they know their stuff. They told us this. They said postmoderns really want to see a church that does something. And that is, is that they actually do what they say they believe. You interview any postmodernist on college campuses or anywhere, and you ask them, what would you like to see in a church is, is that they'll tell you flat out. We don't want some church that just tells us what they do and doesn't actually go out in the world and do it. So John Stott's comment is correct. He doesn't just want words. What does he say to the Israelites in the Old Testament over and over and over again? Stop telling me. Do it. Stop sending me offerings and then going about your own way and doing whatever you want to do. Follow me. Stop saying that I am your savior. And then when you get out into the desert saying, what'd you do? Bring us out here to die? Follow me.
May I dare say that some of us need to check our foundational priorities. Mine included. There have been times over the last several years, and, and, and I haven't hid this from anybody, and I, and I don't want you to be scared about this, and don't take it as a frustrating comment, but there have been times over the last several years that I have considered, is, is, is this true? Do I really need this? Why can't I just build on the sand? I mean, at least my house will stand for a few months. And I wonder if I'm not the only one in this room that questioned that. And let me tell you who places those kind of questions into our hearts and lives. The enemy. It's quick and easy over here. This, this will take some work. Loving one another, that's going to take some work. Forgiving one another, that ain't no building on sand. Laying down our lives for one another, whoo, sand's looking better every day. Take up our cross daily. Just follow some rules. Check them off. You see the difference? And that's what Jesus is doing in this parable. He's saying, listen, there's a difference between hearing and doing. There's a difference between building on the sand and building on the foundation. One is very quick and easy, and you can do it in a heart flash. And, and some of us have. One, one's going to take some work. One's going to take some blood, sweat, and tears. One's going to take building a foundation on a bedrock. And so, Faith Church, whether you built over here or you built over here, today the question is, will you bridge the gap? Will you look and say, you know what, I, I think I have tried to press the button a little too fast here, and, and I've looked for quick and easy, and maybe I need to dig a little deeper. Or will you look at this and say, man, he asked way too much. I better go over here and build on the sand. Now, am I saying if you attend every Sunday, you won't have any issues? I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is the reason it's put in the EC discipline and more importantly, the reason why it's talked about in Scripture in that Hebrews 10 passage I mentioned earlier is because the more we miss, the more we throw sand in our foundation.
and it becomes easier and easier and easier. Because we can't love one another from a distance. We can't get rid of those sharp edges if we're rubbing shoulders with each other. If we're not rubbing shoulders with each other. It's well documented the disciples never hardly or the disciples had some issues. I never once see Jesus see Jesus even in those issues. Say, James, don't walk with us for three weeks. You're undisciplined. No, you know what I see Jesus do? James, you got an issue with John work together. (laughs) Here you go. Go do this. Why? Because it rubs off the edges. Requires them to love one another. Requires them to build a better foundation. Requires them to live out their faith. So I pray today that we're building on a solid foundation. And that no matter how we started, how we started, we can always rip up that patio or rip up that house and start again. God is gracious like that. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 